All right, we are in part two on the issue of submission. Uh, and p- please turn your, your cell phones off. Uh, I would appreciate that. And as, as, we, study, uh, as we study this, the, the, the lesson for us is that for many of us, we are all saved. I'm looking at a room of guys, and I believe everybody here is saved. Uh, and if you're not saved, then you stop by and talk to me today, and we'll fix that as you give your heart to Jesus. But as we've talked about it, there's a difference between being saved, the free gift of God that you've recognized your need for a Savior, and God dispenses that gift and, and brings you into the family of God. You're saved. It's day one. Now day two and the rest of your life requires you to actively submit to God, submitting to God. And what I've noticed is that the, the failure in most Christian men is that failure to submit to God. That is the problem. We want to do our own thing. We still consider ourselves Christian. We know who God is. We know who Jesus is. But we don't see the productivity in our lives. We're not being used by God to expand the gospel. Uh, we may not have ministry given to us. And I told you that God has given each one of you a ministry in some way, starting with your own family. So the question becomes, why is this the case? Well, it's the case because we have not submitted. And I'm doing this to start the year on this issue because uh, as we study the Bible, we can learn all we want about the lessons of the Bible. But if we are not submitting our hearts to God, these lessons will not take practical improvement in our spiritual lives. So I want you to become more productive. I want you to be used by God. I want you to have a more righteous life. And the only way you can do that is if you submit to God. And David submitted to God. That is why God loved David, even with all his flaws. And submitting to God doesn't mean that you're perfect. Doesn't mean that you're, you're pious. It means that you recognize that you need a Savior. And that every day you speak to him. And as you speak to him, you bow in submission to him and you dedicate your life. I can't tell you how honored and pleased I was last week when I got a a, a note from one of the men who said that as a result of the last week's lesson on this, that he, he has rededicated his life to submitting to God for the rest of his life, recognizing that, yes, he was a Christian, but that he had not really declared a submission to God. That touches my heart. I hope that every one of you will leave here today saying, Lord, this is the first day of the rest of my life. I'm going to continue to do this. And so I had had given you some verses uh, to to, uh, look at this issue, and we started with Matthew 16, uh, verse 24, where Jesus speaks about that, and we'll we'll continue right from there. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And notice he's saying, come after me. It's really now he's speaking about day two, coming after him, already accepting him, but coming after him. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I told you that, that that's one of the issues that we come to terms with, and that is Jesus will reward you for your act of submission and the things that you do in your life following him. You're not getting rewarded for salvation. Your reward for salvation is you're in heaven. You're with God. You're with Jesus Christ. You're with your family members. But there will be a reward, as it says here, for how you have served him 
in submission, in discipleship for the rest of your life. Now, we don't do these things for the reward. We do these things because we love him and we want to serve him. We want to be his hands and feet in this world. And so that's what it's about. And so you see that, that he says that he says that he will reward according to what he has done. I just want to focus on verse 28 because there was a question on this last week from, from a, a gentleman. Verse 28 says, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming to his kingdom. Now, that could be a very confusing verse, and I want to make it very clear to you right now what that verse is. That verse, you need to take the chapter break away, the chapter break between 16 and 17, because what that verse really tells you is Jesus is prophesying the transfiguration that will occur very shortly in chapter 17. And what do we know there? We know that, uh, that uh, Peter, James, and John will be on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and Jesus will be transfigured with Moses and Elijah and will appear as he will appear in his glory in heaven. And that's how they saw him. And so there's the prophecy coming true in your Bible in a couple verses. Yes, there will be some people who will not die before they see the Son of God coming into his glory. That's right, boys. There's three of you who are going to see it. You're going to see it on the Mount Transfiguration. So in case there's some confusion there, I wanted to address that, that issue. So understanding what, what Jesus is telling them there about what is, what's critical in terms of, of being a disciple. Uh, if you want to save your life, you're looking to save your life, meaning to protect your life, live the life you would like to live, your own desires, your own will, uh, those, those things that, that titillate you, those things that give you pleasure in this world, instead of doing the things that God would want you to do, then you're going to lose that life. That life is going to be lost. The only way you will have a life that will have merit and everlasting uh, uh, truth is to live a life that follows Jesus. And why do I say that? Because Jesus will pour righteousness into your life. Uh, and I think you could see this. You'll see people who are so wealthy and yet are profoundly sad. All right? They're profoundly sad. And yet you see people who are poor who are profoundly happy. I saw it in my own family. My mother and father never had anything, but they had dedicated their lives to serving God. And, and they, had, they were happy people. They were at peace. They didn't think that they needed anything because that's what God does. He, he gives us that. I want you also to turn... Uh, to Luke chapter 9. This is a critical area that needs study in our lives. Luke chapter 9, verse 24, verse 23. We'll start with that. Then, this is Jesus. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Well, that's just an amazing statement. If, if you've been ashamed of Jesus, then he will be ashamed of you. What does that mean? It means that if in your walk, your daily walk, you decide, eh, I know, I know Jesus. You know me, Jesus, but I'm, I'm, 
I'm not good about talking about you. I'm not good about, about explaining the gospel. I find it difficult. I don't want people to think I'm a flake. You know, I don't want them to think I'm a holy roller. You know, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Well, effectively, Jesus is saying, you're ashamed of me. You're ashamed of telling people who you are. So when we get to the other side, when it's a situation when we talk about rewards, I'll remember that. I'll remember that. I mean, this is pretty sobering stuff here, folks. All right? It's not that you're not going to be saved. You are saved. But the question is, what have you done to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so you see this in various ways as, as Jesus is talking about losing the life, meaning taking your interests, those things that, mean, that have uh, temporal importance to you, but you, you raise it and elevate it so much, it means everything to you. Well, if that's the way you live your life, and instead of giving it to God and taking up uh, God's life, then, then that life is going to help you not to, to, to have a productive Christian life. You will not have a productive Christian life. You will not be used by God to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. And some of us have to examine our hearts and look within our hearts and say, is this true, Lord? Uh, is this is what it means? I mean, because if that's the case, that's, that's pretty important. And so it's a paradox that Jesus speaks about. The very issue of saving and let losing strikes at our heart. I'm trying to save this life. And yet Jesus is saying, I'm going to lose this life, losing it because the reality of the real life will be lost. You will not have the reality of the real spiritual life. It's the real spiritual life that elevates you and gives you a greater happiness. Look, there are many people in here who have committed their, their lives to God and have submitted their lives to God. And these people, you see, they have difficult times. They go through rough patches, yet, yet God lifts them up. And they're able to look over the, the, the uh, temporary bumps in the road. And so you see this. And so this is what it requires to be a disciple of Jesus. It's not easy, but it requires willfulness. Willfulness. Now, salvation does not require willfulness. Salvation is just, Lord, I need a Savior. And God seals you with the blood of Jesus, seals you with the Holy Spirit, pours grace and mercy into your life because it's a free gift, having nothing to do with anything that you did. Nothing. But day two, day two. Now, what are you going to do with what Jesus gave you? What are you going to do with that salvation? How are you going to follow him? And how is that discipleship and submission going to be transferred to a lost world? And God is watching. And God will reward in every, in every way. Uh, and so you, it's important that we, that we understand this, uh, that there is a recompense. There is a reward for the way that you follow Jesus. Look, I don't told you last week that I don't know specifically what the nature of that reward is. Now, some people say, well, will this mean I'll, I'll get a bigger mansion? I'll get a bigger mansion on the other side? Frankly, I was disappointed in some of the recent translations because I was raised to believe that I was going to get a mansion. I have now been told by some of the scholars that that has been uh, looked at and that the word has now been translated as to a room. <laughs> Wait a minute. Who stole the cheese? A room? 
Well, you know what the bottom line is? This is what happens when we in our weak, little, carnal, human minds are trying to translate what God has for us. We can't possibly envision what God has for us. Can I get an amen on that, please? You can't envision it. But whatever it is, uh, it's going to be spectacular. But here's the thing. There is a recompense. There is a reward. God is looking. We ne- this is our responsibility. If I taught this class and I didn't teach you this, then I have failed miserably in my role as a teacher. Uh, God is going to call, call me uh, accountable. So what does this mean? It means that in order to follow as a disciple, in order to submit to him, in order to have the kind of productive life he wants us to have, it requires a life long commitment, a lifelong commitment that begins every day, that begins every morning. It requires you communicating with the God who loves you more than anybody loves you, who cares about you in such a profound way, and you communicating with him, praying to him. And I told you this, that unless you're praying to him a hundred times a day, you're not really communicating with God. Now, I'm using a hundred maybe as a point of exaggeration, but I'm, I'm, I'm using it. I'm using it to make the point of what this requires, this daily communication. God, what do you want from me? Lord, help me to grow. Help me to be forgiving, Lord. Take these thoughts away from me. This is this ongoing act of speaking to the creator of the universe who created you. And as you do this, he pours his grace and mercy into you. He elevates you and gives you strength. That is why you're able to take up the cross and follow him. What does it mean taking up the cross? You're not taking a physical cross up, but you're taking up a metaphorical cross. You're taking up a spiritual cross. You're taking up the life of Jesus, not the life of John. Oh yeah, for the life of John, I'd be in a boat. I'd be in a golf course. Uh, I'd be on a world cruise, all right? I'd be doing every possible thing that would titillate my senses. But if it's the life of Jesus, I'm thinking, how can I serve you, God? Who do you want me to speak to? How do you want me to live? How do I elevate my family? How do I elevate my wife, my children, my family, those who I'm in Bible study with? What can I do to advance the kingdom of God? That's how God wants you to take up the cross. That's the cross. No human being thinks like that. You know, you watch these television programs, especially these, these programs that, that show you the lives of these so-called wealthy people, these realtors and these people. I mean, I sit there and I go, I can't believe people live like this. That all they are looking for is what can they grab and take? How much can I grab? I can't possibly get enough of this world's thing. And you know what? They're one diagnosis away from judgment. You understand? All the things that they've grabbed and held on to and, and felt so, I, I need it all. And they go, my grandmother used to say, you go like this your whole life, and then on your deathbed you go like this. It's gone. It's gone. All right? And, and may God give us the wisdom to understand that. That, 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 that. What we're talking about here is a willful Lifetime commitment, and underline the word willful. It's not accidental. 
It's not totally by the grace of God. It requires the grace of God combined with your willful determination to follow him. And this is what God gives us. This is not a weak, haphazard faith. It is not a sloppy, half-hearted faith. It is a full-on, fully committed uh, faith. Now, as you understand this, you begin to get clarity on some of the things that Jesus said that relates to this issue uh, about how he has to come first in your life. Uh, and, and one of those is found in uh, Luke chapter 14, Luke 14, verse 26. And I'm going to give you another example of what it means to submit. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. There you go. What do you mean, Jesus? Hate my mother and father? What about the commandment? Honor your father and mother. How does it square, Lord? How can you tell me this? I'm, you want me to break one of the fundamental commandments? Do you honestly think Jesus would tell you to break a commandment? I mean, that's why you have to be so careful about taking one verse out of context and bu bu uh, building a theology on it. God tells us to put it all together, you know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's make it clear. He's not telling you to hate your mother and father. He would tell you to honor your mother and father and to love your mother and father and to take care of your mother and father until the day that they die and are called home. But do not put your mother and father or your children ahead of God. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. I just say to the people in my class on Sunday, you know, and, and somebody will say to me, well, I don't, I don't put my family ahead of God. I go, really? And I don't like to make individual examples, but here's the deal. Your kids come in from out of town. It's a holiday. You like to spend time with them. And so it's Sunday morning, and what do many of us do? Well, yeah, we can skip church. We'll, we'll go for blueberry pancakes. God will understand. We don't have to go today. You don't elevate your children over God. You think your children are impressed by your commitment to God when you say, I'll skip church. I don't need to go to BLG. I don't have to go and, and commit myself to God. We can do that at breakfast. Instead, what you should be saying is, I'm going to church. You guys can come with me or you can stay home, but I'm going. When we come back, we'll go out for breakfast but I'm going. And when you say that, you are elevating your commitment. You are representing to your family that that's the priority. God comes first. This relates just as much to your wife. If your wife would ever say to you, you know, I don't like what you're doing. You're going to all these Bible studies. You're going to all these Bible studies. You're different from the guy I married. You used to be a lot of fun. <laughs> It used to be a lot of fun. We went to a lot of wild places. You know what? You're turning into a holy roller. And the time for you is to say, praise God. Praise God, I'm not the guy that I was. But hopefully I'm an influence in you as I love you in a better way, in a more complete way, as I elevate you as my dear wife. But instead, some people go, all right, all right, I'll cool it. I'll cool it. I'll cool it. Maybe you're right. Maybe I am getting a little too pious. 
You know, maybe I'm getting a little too zealous. I don't want to become a holy roller. All right? There it is. I've, I've obviously exaggerated the example, but I've exaggerated to prove the point. Even your wife can be a stumbling block to you serving God. You guys have an obligation to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have an obligation to serve him for the rest of your life, and you heard it here. So God is going to say to you when you get on the other side, oh, I don't care, I didn't know. Nobody ever told me that. If I knew it, I, I, would, have been, I would have been aware. No, no, you heard it in Garippa's class. <laughs> you heard it, and if he didn't teach you, and he's got a lot to explain to me. You understand? He's got a lot to explain to me. And so here's the thing. Look, I'm going to be the first to tell you that some of these things I had not heard preached to me before. And I know that many of you have come out of churches where you've not heard this before. And the reason you've not heard it before is that some of this is a little uncomfortable. You know, it's a little uncomfortable. You'd like to think, oh, I'm saved. That's it. I've got eternal security. He's holding me in the palm of my hands. Bam, zoom, off to heaven. Yes, off to heaven. We're all going to heaven once we accept Jesus. But there is a day of review and judgment of your life. And so as you sit here in this world and want to be used by God, you want to be used by Jesus, you want to have a ministry, and you're wondering, why isn't this happening, God? Why is this not happening to me? Well, this is why it's not happening. Look also at Luke 14, verse 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. We'll put that under the category of forsaking all. Now, let me explain to you again what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not telling you, forsaking all, that you need to take everything in your house and put it out in the curb. He's not telling you to write a check uh, from your bank accounts, empty it all, give it all away to the poor. He is not saying that. What he is saying is this, prioritize your life. All those other distractions, all those other influences in your life, those possessions, your money, your retirement, your stock portfolio, all good things, but do not put them ahead of me. Do not put them ahead of me. Do not allow those things to distract you from the submission of your life to Jesus Christ. Do not. And what do we do? We get distracted by that. We get distracted by that. And so you see that that's what he means by forsaking all. And so you don't have to literally give everything away. He's not asking you to do that, but he's asking you to prioritize your life, that everything that you have comes in second to him. I mean, do you, I mean this, and you know, this goes to the issue really, you know, the issue of tithing. Oh gosh, he said that word. Oh, I hate when he does that. Why does he have to get around and talking about that? Because if Jesus just said forsaking all for me, and we're talking about, well, 10%, God, that's your 10%, but the rest is mine. Instead, don't you realize it's all his? It's all his. Everything is his. And so now the question becomes this, and I personally do not believe that a, that a, 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 
a tithe has to go exclusively to a church. I believe the tithe goes to the kingdom of God, the generalized kingdom of God that's out in so many different venues. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Stop thinking about, oh, gee, it's just this much, it's this much. I'll put this chip over here. No, we have to get to the point where everything in our life, our time, our talents are all his. And our money is all his. And so now you're not sitting here with a ledger and, and, and looking for the 10% or whatever you decide you're going to do. And by the way, the Pharisees tithe. Are we not under greater grace than the Pharisees? All right? And I know there are people in this room that have a problem with this. And I, it's between you and God. Don't get me involved. Because I'm not interested in getting involved. I read these verses and I have Holy Spirit speaks to my heart. I know, what, I know what this means. It means that whatever God has given you, time, talent, treasure, influence, it's all his. Amen. Amen. You understand what I just said? All his in every way. It's all his. You didn't get anything because you're a smart little boy. All right? You didn't get it because you were a smart little boy. It's like I used to go to see my parents when I first started practicing law, and I would go in there, you know, and I would, you know, within the first couple years, I just wanted to get an affirmation. Oh, I won this case. I won this case. I did this. And my father would go, oh, thank God. Oh, but I did this, and I, I, this happened. Oh, thank God. Oh, fine. I was so annoyed. You understand? It's like I'm speaking to God and I'm trying to get a little, yeah, you're doing a good job, Johnny. You're a good little boy. You're doing a good, I know you're doing, you're a smart little guy. I'm not getting it. All I'm getting is thank God, thank God. And I say to my father, dad, 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 I'm killing myself out there. You have any idea how hard it is to practice law, to win these cases, to bring these, you have any idea? Well, he goes, could you do it if you didn't have your health? No, I, I, I couldn't do it if I didn't have my... Well, could you do it if you didn't have your intellect? Well, no, I couldn't do it if I didn't have your intellect. And could you do it if you didn't have the opportunities given to you? Well, no, no, I couldn't. And could you do it if you didn't have your mother and father and a whole team of people praying for you? Oh, uh, no. Well, by the time I got out of the house, I was a midget. I was like, <laughs> I, I was like six inches tall. I couldn't even open the door. But I learned the lesson well, folks. I learned the lesson well, delivered with power by humble people. Whatever you have, it's because God gave it to you. All right? Don't ever delude yourself. Don't ever. And this is part of the act of submission. Submitting to God, recognizing that he has blessed your life. That he has brought you to a place. That he has given you talents. Uh, and, and then... Uh, if you look at John chapter 8, verse 30, let's do that. As we understand this issue of submission, it's a critical issue. As I want you all to grow and prosper and, and to, and to uh, validate what God has done for you. Chapter 8, verse 30. All right, well, he, uh, verse 29. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. And putting their faith in him is akin to abiding in his word. 
abiding in his word. You want to submit to him. You have a prayer life. You have a life in which you're communicating with God. At the same time, you're going to Bible studies. You're studying the word. It's God's, God has written this word for you. It is inerrant. It is delivered by the Holy Spirit to men through the unction of God. You need to read the Bible and do that. That is abiding. And you be, and you be with men who are trying to serve God as well. Just as important as everything that you see here in terms of the teaching is what takes place an hour before that you come and socialize with guys who are living the same kind of life that you are. Men who can lift you up and pray for you and be with you and encourage you. This is a critical role. This is all part of the act of submission. It is just as important what takes place before we start the study as what takes place after it. This is all God's will. God is bringing us to understand the influence of his life, the influence of what he wants us to do. Now, if you go look at the, at the outline again from, that I gave you, the last outline, point six. And so successful Christian life involves following God's directives. Instead, we make our own choices. Isn't that true? Well, God, yes, I know what you want me to do, but I'm good. I'm in, I've got a pretty good instinct as to, as to the professional aspect of my life. I think I've done pretty well, God. So you're here, and I've got you covered on Sunday. But, you know, come Monday, I'm pretty good at handling this. Really, you're pretty good at handling it, huh? You're pretty good at handling. I submit to you that if you look at all the disasters that have come down your life, that they are disasters that you did, you brought on yourself. Decisions that, did you really ask God? Did you really ask him for wisdom? Did you make the prayer that I've learned to make in my life? Lord, if it's not your will, close the door. Close the door. In fact, I go even further now because I'm a type A personality and I recognize that many times a closed door will be my opportunity to try to kick it open. And so now I say, God, slam it in my face. Slam it in my face. Somebody here just said bolt it. Yeah, slam it. In other words, I'm not afraid of having my feelings hurt. And some of us are in places or with people that we need the door shut. Some of us are in doing things, involved in things that we shouldn't be doing, and we need to ask God to intervene and give us wisdom and shut the door. Not everything that you're doing is going to advance you as a Christian or advance the kingdom of God, and we don't know. You can't ask me for that kind of wisdom. That's only from God through the Holy Spirit. And so you have to ask that. You know, for me, it came to a point where God wanted me out of the church I was born and raised in. And my family started 100 years ago. That was a painful experience, but it was God's will and determination that the door had closed, that he had a ministry for me in Florida. Did I know that? No. Did I like the way I had to leave the church? No. Was it painful? Yes. Did I cry? Yes. Was it the worst day of my life? Yes. It was worse even than when my mother and father passed. It's a pain that cannot be described, but it's this. If God wants you to do something and he recognizes that you're too stupid to read the tea leaves, then sometimes he's got to drop a house on your head. Sometimes he's got to drop a house on your head. And what does that mean? It means that sometimes relationships go sour. Sometimes jobs are terminated. Sometimes church relationships are terminated. 
Sometimes health issues intervene. But if we are committed to the Lord, and if we say, Lord, I'm all in, I'm putting all the chips in on you, I'm following you, I want to serve you, I want you to do with me that you want me to do, then that's what happens. And that's what you need to commit yourself today for the rest of your life, from day two, forever. I'm in, Lord. I'm in, God. I'm going to serve you. And that's when we study these lessons about David. Then the reality of this man's life will grow even further with you. Uh, and so you see this in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, my brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You want to know what your act of worship is? It's not just going to church on Sunday or going to BLG. It's giving your body to Jesus as an act of worship keeping it holy and saying, Lord, it's yours. It's yours. Do what you want. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the world. I don't want to hear you say, oh, look what they're doing. It looks like so much fun. Oh, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun until their whole life collapses. All the things that, that we hold holy are eroded. Uh, and, and instead, do not be conformed to that, but lift yourself up. Ask God to give you the grace and mercy to see the final shore, to understand what we're working on is of far greater importance than this measly time we serve, we wait and live on this planet. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. That's how you test. He'll speak to you. You can test it and he'll speak to you. His good pleasing in perfect will. It is only when we fully surrender to the Lord that he will begin to direct our lives. You want to serve in ministry. You want to advance the kingdom of God. You want to be the person of influence in your home. You want to be a person of influence in your community. Then you must surrender to God. And if you don't, then you're going to have an empty spiritual life. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're saved. You believe in Jesus Christ. You're not going to lose that salvation. But everything else that comes from it, the influences in this world, the righteous life that he wants you to have here will not take place. And I know that's not what you want. And so begin to think, even today, begin to think about the gifts that God has given you. What are the gifts that God has given you? Uh, and, and these gifts have been given to you to advance the kingdom. There's not a person in this room that has not been given a spiritual gift. All of us have at least one spiritual gift. Some of us have multiple gifts, but all of us have one. When you receive the Holy Spirit, God poured that into your life. Now begin to think about that. And if you want to think about it even clearly, more clearly, turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Can you imagine the list that God is giving you? Mercy! 
God has given you a spiritual gift of mercy. Meaning what? Meaning that your heart is softened by people in need. You see somebody in need, you don't walk on the other side of the street. You're like the Good Samaritan. That's a gift. Use it. Affirmation. That's a gift. You see people that are in the work of God. You need to go over and encourage them, to tell them that they're having an influence in your life, that seeing them prospers you spiritually. You need to do that. God wants you to do that. If God has given you affluence, if God has given you material possessions, recognizing that if he has given you this, then you have a responsibility to dispense it for the kingdom of God. That's a gift. We have to think about it in terms of that being, being a gift. You see all these gifts. And then he talks about the traditional gifts. If you have a gift uh, for prophesying, well, it's basically preaching. All right? Um, and uh, I told you that as it related to me, uh, I never wanted to preach. I never wanted to preach. Why? Because I had a grandfather and a father who were preachers, and they were very holy men. I was never ever holy one day in my life. Not one day. Not one day. And so I could never aspire to that. I couldn't get up even in church and say five words. Well, I can get up in courts in front of thousands of people. I could do that. But when it came time to get up in church, it was like, uh, I, can't, I can't talk. Why? Because you're hobbled by knowing that righteous people have been advancing the kingdom of God. It is only when I came to understand through the grace of God that nobody is righteous, nobody is holy, and that if God gave you a gift, then you have to give it back to him. And it's when I started to say, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. And he starts in little pieces, little spaces, little steps. And you know that this ministry started with five people in my living room. All right? And now it's on 400 radio stations across the United States. Because of me? No, because of me. Not me. It has nothing to do with me. It's because I bow in submission to God. And God will use you as he wants to use you. Don't ever elevate yourself. The gift will be elevated by God. Here's another thing that I hear people say. Well, I have gifts, but my church is not recognizing it. All right? I, I, I'm, I'm right now, I'm a greeter at the back, but I really believe that, that uh, I should be in charge of a BLG. In fact, I think I ought to get up and preach once in a while in church, but they're not recognizing me. Let me, t- let me, let me say it very clearly, okay? Let's understand something. If you have that gift, God will honor it. Don't think, do not think that you have to promote yourself with that gift. God promotes. You got that? God promotes. But you give it. You step out. You show him what you want. You show him your commitment to serve and to to honor him. Uh, And so you see this. And so all of these gifts are all part of the act of submission of holy men. All of these gifts are the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. And so God is saying to us, saying to us, I expect you men who have been saved, who are now following me to follow me and take up the cross and follow me for the rest of your life, to abide with me, all right? To give up your life 
and to serve me. And when you say, Lord, and I hope you're saying it right now in your heart, saying, Lord, I haven't done this before, but I'm not leaving this place without saying to you, Father, I am committing myself for the rest of my life. This is what I'm going to do. And every time I hear your word preached to me, Lord, I'm going to take it into my heart, consider it, and apply it. I am going to follow you, and I'm going to speak about you to my family, even if my family looks at me and doesn't want to hear it. And guess what? Thanksgiving's coming. How about this? Instead of talking about Washington, D.C., how about talking about Jesus? Is that possible? Can you make that commitment this week, this week, Thanksgiving Day? Instead of talking about the Tax Reform Act, all right, and losing your mind, and losing your mind, and having the turkey wind up here in the bottom of your throat because you're disgusted. Instead, speak about Jesus at Thanksgiving. I know you're looking at me and going, this guy's lost his mind. What is it? No, I'm not lost my mind. When you get to the point, when you begin to talk about the theological issues of living as a Christian, you'll be amazed at how that resonates with people. You'll be amazed, and people will begin to open up to you, and they'll ask you questions, and you're going to have an opportunity to speak about God. Don't be ashamed of it. When they say to you, what do you do every week? Well, I go to Bible study every month. You go to Bible study? Wow. Tell me about it. What's it like? And you're going to tell them. All right? That's God's called you to do this. This is the call of God on our life. You see this. Look, I'm just, I started the study this year because I believe God wants to prepare us for big things. It's going to be a big year. There's going to be important things that God has set up for you. He wants to prepare you. Yes, I'm going to study the life of David. I'm going to get into it, but I want to set the predicate. I want to set the table so that we're prepared. Jesus expects us. Jesus expects us to submit our lives to him in order to be used by him. Very simple. We have to deny ourselves. Uh, we have to crucify ourselves. We have to lose ourselves. Not, not a sloppy, half-hearted faith, but a full-on, fully committed faith to serving God in every way. Uh, and so when we do that, God is going to pour blessings into your life in ways that you have never possibly even countenanced. He's going to lift you up. He's going to use you. And as he does, as he lifts you up, here's what I want to say to you. As he lifts yourself up and promotes you, and people begin to look at you with respect, don't fall into the trap of going, oh, yeah, I'm a good person. Oh, I've got such great gifts. Oh, Lord, I'm just, it's just so great to be around me. And the thing is, you know, we don't say these things publicly because we know we'd be laughed down at it. But we think them. You know what I mean? We think them. We think them. Well, don't think them. Get them out of your head. Remember that whatever you have, everything you have, everything that you will have, every honor that God has given you, every issue that he raises you up and lifts you up and affirms you and gives you gifts and you give it back to him, and as, he, as you do this, and he will continue to raise you up and lift you up. This is going to be the story of the rest of your life. This is day two, friends. This is day two. Make your commitment. I'm with you, Lord. It's not going to be easy. I'm going to serve you, Father. 
I'm willfully declaring right now, I'm with you. I know I'm going to fall. I know I'm going to trip. I know I'm going to sin, but I'm there. I want you to count on me. I want you to use me wherever you decide to use me. All right, Lord, I'm full in to serving you every day of my life for the rest of my life. And he will honor that. Let's close. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us. Lord, each of us here wants to serve you and submit to you for the rest of our lives, Lord. We understand it's day two. And so many of us have let years go by without reaching out in submission to you, Lord. But we're, we're calling an end to that today. We are going to serve you for the rest of our life, Lord. We're putting everything that we have, all of our talents, all of our gifts, which you have given us, we are placing before you and asking you, Father, to use you to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for these men. I ask you to continue to bless them and be with them, especially so with Thanksgiving when we come together. And at the Thanksgiving table, Father, I, I look forward to having each and every one of us have a, an opportunity to speak about you because there is no Thanksgiving without Jesus. There is none. Lord, thank you for that gift. Thank you for these men. Thank you for this study. Bless and protect us and bring us back next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'll see you on Monday.